This episode of the Managing Widget Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, and you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you, and shout-out to everyone in Washington, D.C. who Manscaped before the show tonight. We had an amazing crowd come out to the D.C. podcast. Really, like, just a fun night. A really, really fun night. Um, I'm so glad to meet you guys all. I'm so glad to have Omar Arvin and Gabe Lezer beside me once again. And it was just a pleasure seeing a lot of faces that we hadn't seen in a few years from the D.C. Pena. Um, and it's, you know, there were a few names that we have been reading on the podcast for years now. They've been submitting questions, their patrons, and we finally got a chance to meet them tonight. And, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you for coming out. It was a real pleasure. And that's what you're about to listen to tonight. It's a live podcast from D.C. It was off the cuff, a lot of Q&A, a lot of fun questions. You know, we, we spoke about the PSG thing at length, again, with some more fresh perspectives. Somehow we're still dicing that up in different ways and talking about it daily. And I don't think that'll die down anytime soon because... Rightfully so. It was one of the best nights that Maridistas have had in years. And uh, we're going to cling on to it and really milk milk everything out of that game as we possibly can. So we had a lot of fun at tonight's DC podcast and we give away some prizes. And you're about to listen to a really fun podcast that was very interactive and had definitely its, uh, its funny moments for sure. Um, this episode also is brought to you by The Guild. That's the Guild, G-U-I-L-D, luxury apartments around the United States. They have locations in Dallas, Miami, Cincinnati, Denver, and San Antonio, and they're proud sponsors of the Managing Madrid Podcast World Tour. So if you're having FOMO listening to these all these podcasts that we're doing all around in the world and uh, you want to be a part of it, we have a few stops left. We got Madrid for the Classical Weekend. We got Chicago in April. We got Mumbai in May. And then we got Toronto in May. And then we're taking a long-ass break because I am tired. So last chance to see us, May, Toronto. Uh, that's the last weekend of May. Uh, and then everything in between. If we're coming anywhere close to you, make a trip. We, you know, we had people come in from New York tonight to the DC podcast. And uh, if you want if you want to see us, really, this is your last chance. So make the trip. Make a two-hour drive, whatever it takes. Because I don't know if we're going to come back. And I'm taking a long-ass break. So, uh Get in on that and also wanted to bring your attention to the guild, especially if you're at the Dallas one. The Dallas one is the one we stayed at and it was amazing. The guests of the guild get exclusive access to the Tower Club. It's a members-only club located on the 48th floor. It doubles up as their day-to-night lobby lounge and offers incredible views, a fantastic bar, and chef-driven cuisine at Monarch Restaurant. Um, they host a ton of events and groups and partnerships with Tower Club Dallas, and it's a really, really fun place to be if you're in Dallas. So book your stay at the Guild if you're staying anywhere in Dallas, Miami, Cincinnati, Denver, San Antonio. You won't regret it. And just kick back and enjoy the show. It's a bonus show. This is just something we're doing in between the mailbag that went up Thursday over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid and the post-game show we're going to be doing for the Mallorca game, which, by the way, we're also doing in person with Gabe and Ohm as well. But this is just kind of a bonus thing we're throwing up for you guys, and we really hope you enjoy it. And stay tuned also for tomorrow's Real Madrid Feminine versus Barcelona Classico, which is pretty early tomorrow on a Sunday. Ohm and Grant are going to have your back for that one. Uh, in the meantime, kick back, grab an espresso, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Managing Madrid Podcast! 
Well, we are live in Washington, D.C. in a nice, cozy hotel conference room. It's lovely meeting you all. Some people we've seen before. It's been years, though. We saw a lot of the D.C. Pena members in Madrid. Was it 2018, I want to say? 19? I don't know. Just before that? See, I don't know. Like, it's all a blur to me. Uh, we're meeting some patrons for the first time, and that's, that's awesome. So joining me, Keon Sabani, are Gabe Lezra and Om Arvind and a bunch of beautiful maravistas who are in the room with us. So we're gonna, we're gonna talk about everything. We're gonna have a nice interactive Q&A. This is weird because when we initially planned the DC podcast, and basically any podcast we do around the world, we wait. We yeah. wait to see what La Liga does because we don't know if we should hold it on Saturday, we should hold it on Sunday. And you guys know, especially if, if any of you have traveled to Madrid for games, you know what it's like, it's impossible. Some people are just like scrambling from the airport directly to the stadium because <laughs> La Liga switched the time on them all of a sudden. So we weren't sure when the game is gonna be scheduled for. It turns out they scheduled for a Monday night, which <laughs> makes no sense, but we're gonna do a podcast on Monday because of that. Right. But um, so, so we're here with no game to talk about, nope. no pregame show. Uh, we could, if anyone's interested, anyone's interested, is anyone interested to do a tactical preview of Mallorca? No. <laughs> you guys would rather have a just a fun interactive Q and A podcast. Who does he start? Who does he start? That's the game on Monday. Who do you think starts? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I think I think we can just copy and paste the lineup from now until 2024. <laughs> until Ancelotti's in charge, with the odd variable of uh, you know yeah, someone until, someone different starting on the right wing here and there. Until Modric is you know. Legs just sort of fall off. Yeah, until like until basically. he's looking like Gabe Lesnar right here. Right, with the cane. Exactly. And just to be clear, I'm not just sort of vibing here. I'm. I actually, yeah, my I got my leg kind of fucked up. So sorry. Um, that's okay. About the cursing, also, you know. Uh, that's okay. I mean, every, <laughs> it's uh, your. I mean, your cursing is probably. More I know. It's, uh, on the last podcast we did for the PSG game, Eduardo Alvarez goes, "Are we allowed to curse?" Like, I was like, yeah, sure. And then he, he proceeds to say, bastard. <laughs> I was like, tone it down. Tone it down, Edward. Oh, man, yeah, no. And he, who was it that he called a bastard? I think it was, uh, it may have been Asensio. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I think it was Asensio, but I can't remember who he called a bastard. Um, so, to be, truth be told, I don't have that much... Uh, on Mallorca anyway. I'm just going to get Gabe in this camera here. I did want to ask you guys though, and you guys have some, can you guys explain, I, I haven't, I've, I know what this is. This is yes. Xabi Alonso 2012, one of the yeah. best jerseys. Truly, can you give yeah. a backstory on this? I mean, it's just a designer hoodie, Real Madrid. I, I don't know, it was some, there's some like famous social media designer who like, I don't awesome. know, like he got attention, he was able to do a deal and he just decided, he, he designed a bunch of like fashion for, for a bunch of different famous clubs. So. It's fairly expensive. I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to buy these again, but uh, <laughs> it looks quite nice. I like it. I like yeah, it's it. awesome. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Um, cool. So I, I actually did want to, it's a good idea to start with the PSG game. Yeah. I didn't, we didn't talk to you about this because we haven't spoken to you. You haven't been on the podcast. Really. I haven't, no. I haven't been on the podcast Can you since tell New us, York. Can you tell us the PSG experience for you? <laughs> I don't know if folks... Uh, know me that well. Uh, it's been a while since I've been a recurring character. Gabe Lesra is the founder of Managing uh, Madrid, if you guys don't know. He's literally uh, the one who started it all. Actually, yeah, this shirt goes back to the first real year of Managing Madrid was mm. this uh, 2012. So we're at 10 years, more or less. Is anyone uh, interested to know how Managing Madrid started, the yeah. background story? Yeah. 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 All right, cool. Well, look, uh, I you know grew up in Madrid and, and, and uh, in the States. 
uh, and uh, I just wanted a you know way to follow my team that didn't involve me always having to read the you know garbage uh, Marka asked those fucking people and at that point ESPN no one was covering soccer in this country and so I figured that you know as a way to sort of you know if we couldn't if I couldn't get it I had to make it myself so we you know my buddy Josh and I started uh, the show before we even started the site um, and we kind of figured it was a way to just sort of catch up with each other every week talk through games um, we had a great time and uh, you know, I, I at that point I met um, one of my buddies, Kim. Now Kim McCauley, she uh, uh, she told me about this 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 little company called SB Nation um, that uh, she and a couple other folks were sort of I want to say founding, but like that they had just started a little startup and oh, that um, I didn't know. Interesting. We uh, yeah, we decided to join up with them, and you know, by uh, 2012, uh, I was in the south of Spain. Uh, and managing Madrid was uh, a thing and very pretty similar to the what, what you see now, except for, you know, people actually didn't really read it. <laughs> so it was like we were really psyched when we get a few thousand people to read one of our articles. But obviously um, <clears throat> that has uh, changed, thanks mainly to this guy and, and Lucas well, I, uh, in the interim. I, I don't know about that, but I had like it was it's so funny to me because like years later, I don't know if you guys read the book The Real Madrid Way by Stephen Mandis, but Stephen invited Gabe and I to the book launch in Madrid, and you would you weren't able to make it. And you're you're in some fine company because if you go to the back of that book, there's a list of quotations from various people. Sir there's Alex yeah. Sir Alex yeah. Ferguson, yeah. Ray yeah. Hudson. Yeah. Wasn't David Stern, I think? Yeah. The, the, the former yeah. NBA and, commissioner. And, 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 me. and then it's like Gabe Lesra. <laughs> what up? Yeah, it's basically the same, you know? And so at, at that book launch, uh, Stephen introduced me to a one of Florentino's right-hand men, like one of the board members, and we were talking. And he's like, "Do you want to meet in Florentino?" I was like, "Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not a big deal if he, if he wants to meet me." It's not. And uh, so he took me over, and uh, so this guy, and this guy, the 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 guy who I was talking to, he knew nothing about managing Madrid. He only knew that about it because I told him about it 10 seconds prior and I was like you know this is our market and then he goes to Florentino and he's like Florentino these guys are the pioneers of United States Real Madrid marketing and this is what this, this is what they're doing and this like it's amazing they're they're promoting our club in the United States of America yeah. and Florentino was like oh and then, so, and then he yeah, signed my book, right, and then, and then he probably has never thought about that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this, that was great. That was a great moment. Um, so yeah, PSG. Uh, yeah. So like I said, I don't know if you know, I haven't been a sort of recurring character in a while, but PSG is sort of my personal uh, uh, bet noir, like my my the club that I sort of have have dedicated a lot of my efforts to hating over my <laughs> life since uh, since you know because so. You know, and we don't need to get into this too much, but my actual job is in public policy and anti-corruption work. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so um, PSG and I, we go back for a while. So it was very wonderful to watch them once again collapse in just such a such a beautiful way. And you just love, you just love, love to see it. And we we got everything out of it, right? Because we got to applaud Mbappe at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And we got to watch Messi, you know, weeping by the end. It's just, you know. And, you know, Nasser Al-Khalifi trying to get into a fight with someone, which is just, you know, really also wonderful. 
Uh, so. Yeah, where's the video of going? Did you just read I, not recording? No, no, it was recording from a different thing. Uh, the video of Nasser Khalifa. Yeah, where's the video of everything from their meltdown? Like, you know, after the game, we saw, like, Luka Modric, that whole thing where he goes to the locker room and he's saying... He's congratulating everyone, hugging everyone, and you're just like weeping and watching it and crying, and it's so beautiful. But then I was like, wait a second, where's the PSG tears? I want, I want like someone to go into the PSG locker room. I want to see the Nasser meltdown. I want to see all this. We didn't get it. We didn't even see the pan, the camera pan to Sergio Ramos. That was disappointing. You would think that that's like number one on the priority list of the camera. Like you have one job tonight. Sergio Ramos is here. I want you to. Film his reaction to all of Benzema's goals. Yeah. We want to see him celebrate. <laughs> I want to see Gianluigi Donnarumma deck Neymar. That was the one that I wanted to see. Right. There was, I mean, from the reports that I read uh, in like the French media, like Le Parisien and all that stuff, was that in the PSG locker room it was just deafening silence. They had no idea what hit him. They they just were completely distraught. Which is just beautiful to That's say, beautiful. like, it's just sound, so satisfying. Um, I had a question for you because just before we started recording, I was just like, I don't want to miss any, like, news and stuff, you know, I don't want anyone to catch me off guard on this podcast, but uh, I, I came across a clip that was released where Ancelotti whispers something in Fede's ear and, he's, and gives some instructions, and then Fede goes and whispers, I think, to Modric's ear or Rodrigo's ear, and I mean, the headline was very exaggerated, it was like... Ancelotti changed Real Madrid's tactics in 10 seconds and then the remontada I was like okay relax but like I'm actually just curious from a tactical perspective because a lot of it was made of like the subs changed the game which they clearly did there's no denying that do you feel like there's the other side of the coin is like the PSG version of this is like well if Donnarumma didn't make that mistake this none of this would happen do you think it was inevitable the way we were playing, the way we were pressuring them with the subs? Would we have overtaken them irrespective of Donnarumma's mistake? I think the amount of final third pressure and the amount of chances we were able to create would have been inevitable as long as everything else continued as is, right? So if Pochettino failed to react as he did, I think, I, I mean, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't have been the case because the subs still would have happened. They still would have altered things. But the fundamental like nature of the game was two teams who were not able to stop the other from entering the final third, right? And so when PSG went up and they relaxed and they said, okay, that's it, right? We just need to ride it out. And we just came at them with wave after wave after pressure, wave of wave of pressure. Like there was no way for them to kind of like dig out of that, right? So my thought was at like, as soon as we got one back, I was like, Pochettino has to sub Di Marion. Like, I don't care how mad Neymar or Messi gets, like you have to take one of them off because at the moment, there's simply no way to stop Real Madrid from entering the final third. And at that point, they had just completely panicked, right? Marquinhos, who I respect as a really great defender, was horrendous after that. And they had, they had no ability, like no lastage defending ability, right, to stop the amount of chances we were creating. And so I think, you know, variant, anything can happen, right? Benzema could miss the final shot at the end, whatever. But when it comes to us taking control of the second half, I think that was basically inevitable because PSG had no way of really controlling the game on, on the defensive end, which was, I was basically thinking the first side who does that is going to win the tie, but neither side was able to do it, and it was just who had more firepower at the end. And, you know, surprisingly, that was us. Surprisingly, or, or, or that was us. Or not surprisingly, I, I don't know how many people know this, but PSG's expected goals for 
is actually worse this season than it was last season. And they have Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. Now, they haven't played that much together, and you could argue maybe some of that is Pochettino's tactics versus Tuchel's. But it's pretty amazing to say that their offense, from a statistical perspective, is worse than it was last season when you have supposedly three of the greatest attackers in the world on the pitch at the same time. So I also like the XG from that game was heavily in our favor as well, which, I mean... I, it's crazy to think how much 20 minutes really mattered in the grand scheme of things because all of our XG came in the last like 20, 25 minutes. So, so was the question, was it inevitable that like Madrid would have come back? Uh, at, like, because I'm not sure, because it, it seemed to me that if, if Donnarumma hadn't made that mistake, I'm not sure Madrid could come back. I thought there was a lot of like, uh, yeah, sure, there was a lot of pressure, but I mean, PSG... <laughs> There's a mental element, uh, immense mental element, is when things start going badly for them, things start going real bad. And, and I, you know, I, I'm not disagreeing at all with what you're saying. I just think that, you know, if they, if they don't concede yeah, that I mean, I first Yeah, I don't know if right? we necessarily come back, but I think the dynamic of the game is basically the same. I think we're applying all of that pressure. I think we're creating a bunch of chances. And, yeah, I mean, you take away a goal, Maybe we don't end up scoring, but I think we're by far the superior side in the second half, which is my point, which is why I said yeah. variance can, can go against you, who's to say. But I, th- I, I think my theory would be a mistake would have just thrown them yeah. off the rails. They were yeah. so mentally weak. Yeah, yeah like, and I mean, the Donnarumma thing, like, it is, we, it, it was bad luck, but at the same time, this is like the third time Karim Benzema has done this now, and I'm starting to wonder, like, what, what is up with this guy? <laughs> like, does he just know how to, like... I mean, we, we know he's a good presser. He has skills on the defensive end, but like three wild mistakes, all in key Champions League matches now. I mean, maybe it's not a coincidence. Let's be honest. What would you yeah. do if Benzema just started sprinting towards you? <laughs> just like, oh shit! Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> the the well, other thing was like the positioning for the defenders when when Donnarumma received the ball. Like, what were they doing there? Like, there was there was horrendous support. I mean, he should have just kicked it out to touch. But Mark, yeah. I, who knows what they were doing at that point in time? So to me, it was like. It seemed like they were kind of mentally like switching off or yeah. collapsing already going to that point. Like, I don't know. It was it was a strange game. Like, yeah. I forgot what all the goals were. I mean, you guys saw on Twitter. We didn't know what the what goal the Modric run was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know anything. Like that no. that night, it was like, you know, most regular games, you're 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 just more composed, obviously. And like for us, like as yeah. doing it as our job. After the game, we're looking at film, we're reading quotes, we're looking at the stats and data. For that podcast that night, there was none of that. <laughs> Memes and rewatching the goal because we didn't know what the goal was because we were just losing our mind. Like we, we spoke about this so much that this the third goal came at a time where we were still celebrating, and then all of a sudden you hear the commentator like, oh, oh, and then you run back to the screen like, what's happening? And then Benson, and it's just like, you don't know, you don't even see the goal because I, I felt like I was blacked out. I, I didn't know what was happening. Now, so now imagine watching the Feminino game right before that, where I have no idea how we end up beating Atletico Madrid two 0 We literally concede every single possible chance. <laughs> while creating nothing on our end, and the ball does not go in. I'm talking a tap-in cleared off the line. Misa saving a penalty. Like, a disallowed goal, like, in the 90th minute for Atleti. And, like, literally with no break, we go into the PSG game. Like, I was, like, my mind was just gone. Like, there, was, there was no, like, 20-minute spurt in the Feminino game where, like, it was, it was just pure shithousery. 
well, no, there was shit houses from us, but it was there was no period where we were like, wow, Real Madrid like are playing well and we're done. <laughs> no, like they were just all over us, and then we end up scoring two goals, man. Remind everyone about the big game tomorrow too. Yeah, yeah. There's. If you want to wake up at the crack of dawn. If you want to wake up at seven a.m. Watch Real Madrid get pumped by Barcelona. <laughs> you can do that. Grant and I will be doing that, and um, we're, we're obviously going to do a podcast on that. Grant was going to attend the press press conference, or at least he thought he was going to, and then they they sent an email back saying it has to be in person. So yeah, it's changed. Forget about yeah. that. But huh. yeah, I mean, it's, although it wasn't our last performance against Barca a bit better. We lost one nil, and everyone got really excited. They were like, that "This is exciting. it. We've closed the gap." It was like our moral victory that they had. Yeah, right? and like, <laughs> yeah except the XG after the game was like four point five against us, so it was like a little. I, the, the the reason this one is bigger than the fact that it's Real versus Barca. If they beat us, they win the league already. That's insane. So, yeah. and it's away from home yeah. and. Yeah, I mean, we'll go there trying to fight. Like, it was weird because the Atleti game, obviously, we, we, we're not going to spend the entire time talking about this, but the Atleti game, we rested four key players, right? Aslani being one of them. It's like, why are we doing this, right? Atletico Madrid are third. If we beat, we, we need to beat them to close the gap to qualify for the Champions League, and he's doing it, I think, to put in a good showing versus Barca, which doesn't make any sense to me, but <laughs> Real Madrid take it, like, quite seriously in terms of, like, putting up a good image versus Barca and stuff, so... Wait till we face him in the Champions League in the Camp Nou, and that'll be, that'll be, we'll be embarrassed there. But at least maybe this league match we can, we can, we can put up a fight. There you go, Feminino Clasico tomorrow. Um, <clears throat> we 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 actually had thought of doing today as more of like a live mailbag. So yeah. if you guys have any questions, you can feel free to ask. I, I have a question. Did did. And I, it's maybe because I was like out of my mind. We have guests, man. <laughs> Stand in line. I, maybe it's because I'm like out of my mind after all this stuff. But did we end up figuring out where the hell the chair came from? Oh, yeah. Did anyone locate that? Like, what is that? Chairs, right? It was like, uh, the media press chairs. Yeah, you just grabbed one? Yeah, there was a bunch of them in the leg. <laughs> and Alifa grabbed one, and then after a while, Militao grabbed one. <laughs> What, was there any symbolism to that, or they were just going crazy? No, they just went crazy, and then yeah. they would sit on our chair. It's just, yeah, pick up whatever object is closest and just shake it in the air. <laughs> that chair is immortalized now. It's incredible. I've seen, like, journalists on Twitter, they, they post pictures with the chair. Like, as, yeah, if, as if it's like a Champions League trophy. Like, you know, I think they take selfies with it and stuff. Um, I mean, what a! It would have been amazing to be at the Bernabeu that night. Seriously, yeah, I mean, seriously. what a what a time! I mean, hey, this, the great thing is because we won again, we have a chance to have another amazing experience. Depending on uh, what any happened. of us there was Lucas there. Was Lucas was there. Yeah, Lucas was there. Awesome. Lucas Sorry. had the time of his life. Lucas actually said it was the best Champions League atmosphere he's. I mean, no Real Madrid atmosphere he's ever been to. See, it's funny Lucas because Lucas was everyone, at La Decima. What is he, he said, talking about? But, but so interesting. He was at La Decima, but he specified that. That is an exception, and that wasn't at the Bernabeu. But he also said the thing with the Champions League finals is that the atmosphere kind of sucks mm. because it's not home base for anyone, yeah. and it's filled with just dignitaries and rich people who don't yeah. make noise. And so you have one set of fans on one side of the stadium and the other side on the other side, and then in between them it's just a lot of suit and ties, like sitting people Oof. like sitting like this. And uh, but then but 
the the corner flag when when Ramos scored. Yeah. I mean that that was yeah. just a whole different the whole <laughs> different beast. But that's interesting. Yeah, but no chair. I, I got a good vibe from just from no watching chair. it. But everyone on Twitter who was neutral was complaining about the atmosphere. There's like this is they were literally like this is the worst atmosphere of any Champions League night ever. Literally because, because of the banner. Right. The the bottom seats were like blocked yeah. off. It was it was bizarre. But Real Madrid fans and neutral fans like experience every game differently. It's, it's I honestly should be off Twitter every Champions League nights because that's like the yeah. one time for a journalist to, who hasn't watched any Real Madrid whatsoever to be like, I didn't know Kareem Benzema was good. Like now yeah. I'm putting him, <laughs> now I'm putting him on the level of Lewandowski and, and all that, and we can forget about um, others yeah. who will not be named who should know better, but. Oh yeah, we don't use the name drop. I mean, probably people in the room know who we're talking about. But like, I also think the the problem with general generalist football pundits, right, is that they have to know too much. Yeah. You know, we have the benefit of like we watch Real Madrid, we watch Real Madrid, we watch Real Madrid, we watch Real Madrid, and everything else we just watch is just mostly for fun, bonus and right. stuff. But we don't have to like go on TV wow. and. And well, you you have your subset. You, you, we make exceptions <laughs> yeah, for the all-encompassing, like you know the the innate knowledge of of Omarvin. But like for mo- for most of us mortals here, um, we don't have to go on TV and like you know talk about Liverpool and stuff. But like these Champions League guys, it's a big yeah. it's a big problem, right? I mean, the other yeah. one was uh, in the first against PSG, we played super defensive, right? And so everyone was like, abolish the away goals rule. Yeah. If we didn't have away goals rule, Real Madrid wouldn't be playing defensive. But they don't realize that, first of all, they didn't watch Real Madrid like the two months before this. We played defensive against Cadiz, yeah. <laughs> against Elche. It didn't really matter if it was PSG or Elche or whoever. But I will say, like, I don't know how you guys feel. We can do a quick poll show of hands. In a way, do you feel like there was some silver lining in Mbappe scoring at the end of the first leg? Yes or no? Like, yes, do you think like him scoring that goal and then all of a sudden before, instead of going into that second leg nil-nil, probably playing the same way we did because Carlo feels like maybe that worked for some reason, mm-hmm. now he has forced to attack. It is both, albeit false hope. They were going to the It gave PSG false hope, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, I think it made us know that we need to score at least two at home. Yeah. So we kind of went more offensive. Yeah, well, in, yeah. yeah, well, it's interesting, like, you well, know, can I just jump in of real course, quick? Yeah. because I think that, well, for me, the real silver lining is that Pochettino did not approach the second leg the same way he did the first leg, right? Because the big, I mean, I wasn't necessarily opposed to being defensive and everything, especially with Benzema being injured and stuff like we, we can't really press. We tried pressing in that second leg. It wasn't pretty, but ultimately ended up working out for us. What really hurt us in the first leg was the fact that PSG were able to press. Granted, Di Maria was in for for Neymar, and so that helped. But they they went full out press on goal kicks. Danilo creating the the three at the back to contain Vinicius. All that good stuff, right? And that's what essentially like that's what won the game essentially in, in that it prevented offense for us. Totally different environment in the second leg, right? So yeah, we were able to be more offensive, but. That was enabled by the fact that PSG came and did not do the same thing whatsoever, right? They're probably like, 1-0 lead, we're going to the Bernabeu, I'm going to have to put in Neymar for Di Maria because that's just what the locker room environment is like. And so it was way more like mid-block, really weak front three defense that, again, allowed us to get to the final third as we did. So I would never like to be down 1-0 going into a second leg, but if there was a silver, silver, silver lining, 
I think it was that it changed Poch's tactics and it just did not work out for them because it, it evened it out and on the day that was better for us, especially at home. Well, and, and you weren't on the post-game podcast. I asked Matt this. I'd be really curious to what you think because you were kind of, there was, a, there was a large sense within the media and the fan base that we can't, like, you know, this, that was not Real Madrid, what we saw in the first leg. Real Madrid is not meant to play that way. We have to play beautiful football. We have to let it flow. We have to go higher up the pitch. We have to, we, maybe we don't have to do an aggressive high press like Liverpool or a City, but we have to bring it into a higher block and make them uncomfortable. And I know you were very vocal on, like, you were kind of, I don't know if push, pushing back is the right word, but, like, you were kind of like, hold on, guys. We have to also be pragmatic about this, and we can't get carved. I think, like, now in hindsight, after these two legs are over and you look back on it, the PSG is a team that you just need to punch them in the mouth once or twice. And, and then they just, they just lose their marbles. Because yeah. I think that, that was the problem with the first leg for me. It was not so much the defensive approach. I mean, the defensive approach had its, had its own perils because we literally could not escape our half. Our positioning was terrible. But um, we made them too comfortable. You look yeah. at, like, if you looked at the stats in that game, the passing accuracy of, like, Kimpembe, Marquinhos, Atraf, it was, like, 99%, but after 99%, because they just got the ball, no one was around them. They were, like, pass, pass, pass. And it's, like, it was just too much comfort for them. And I think we just... The, the, the good thing about the second leg was the fact that we were able to just make them uncomfortable a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want us to be that deep. What I did not want was, like, an all-out, like, press, especially not in the first leg. And a lot of the people asking for that were not Real Madrid fans, at least not initially. It was, like, journalists who hadn't watched Real Madrid right. play. Um, I mean, I would have preferred something that was more of a mid-block. You can, appro- you can apply pressure from the front there. It's just that we're protecting the space in behind because... Even if we do that, it's not going to look that pretty, but it's much easier for us to save things in behind. But the biggest issue for me was we can't get out of the press, right? That's what ended up pinning us back. That's what forced us deeper and deeper. And so my question was, how are we going to solve that in the second leg? And it didn't really turn out to be an issue. I mean, we had different personnel, but there was no press to bypass anyway. So it, it it was a totally different dynamic in the second leg. And yeah, I mean, that was... There's silver lining for me. I don't know why I can't say that. <laughs> but it was that. It was that for me. It was that we we didn't have to face the press and we could build up. It's, and if it was going to yeah. be end to end, we made it end to end, and it worked out for us. It's always amazing to watch. You know, just to go back to the complaining about <laughs> journalists, uh, uh, how you know, and it's not just. I mean, anyone who's been a Real Madrid fan for forever you've heard people say this junk about this is how Real Madrid has to play and this is how Madrid you know if they don't do XYZ then it's not the same thing and you know it's sometimes it's the fans but a lot of the time it's the journalists who are pushing their own agendas in Spain this has been a person like one of my own things that I've been hammering on for, for a long time yeah because I remember when Madrid won the uh, 06, 07, I think, title with yeah, Capello. Capello. Yeah. And they won. It was the first trophy they'd won in, in like a decade. And he was gone. And they fired him because of these exact people. Yeah. Uh, and then the team <laughs> that he had built uh, ended up going back to back with La Liga tr- trophies the next two years, or the next year. They won again. I mean, I had a lot of fun during that Capello year. I don't know about you guys, but I had a that great was time. just the comebacks, the fight in that team. Yeah. It was amazing. But what I meant is, is I just mean that, like, it's, it's exhausting to hear this constantly with this stuff. And, and, you know, when it doesn't work out, people are going to yell at that. To be fair, like, this is a pragmatic choice, and you have to, it's a pragmatic call. And if you don't get it right, if you're going to be a pragmatist, you got to get your calls right. But, 
you know, I also feel like I would rather have a manager who's willing to take and make, you know, pragmatic or just like tactical choices that he's not going to take from idiots on, you know, who watch Real Madrid once every couple months on the Champions League. So, so that's your pet peeve. Mine yeah. is this idea, <laughs> is this idea that it's like one or the other, right? So if you're conservative, it has to be this ultra deep block going long all the time and the only other option is to press high <laughs> your know, full Gegen press like you know Nagelsmann Bayern Munich style like there are so many you know gradations in between that you can tweak tactically right. that can still be called conservative or proactive but can lead to dramatically different results right who was an example of that by the way would you say like a like a Tuchel uh, Tuchel is the best example of that right now in terms of what he's doing with Chelsea yeah. right in that like he 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 will have like different types of blocks that could all be considered to be conservative blocks because they're not pressing, but depending on the opponent, he will engage at different areas, right? Because depending on the opponent and stuff. So for, from my perspective, right, I mean, we're just talking about kind of the same thing now, but like in terms of like what could be tweaked and still be considered conservative is just tweaking what we were doing in buildup, right? So you can have all the same defensive structure, everything, you can, you can sit as deep as you want, but at a certain point, we're gonna have the ball and we're gonna have to face the press. You can do a number of different things in possession. You can put different people on the field, right? We talked about how bad Casemiro was. You can do all of that stuff, and you can lead to potentially a dramatically different result while still being conservative, right? So that frustrates me. I don't think anyone else cares about it, but like when it comes to like these narratives always pushing things to the extreme, if you want to critique it, there are so many ways you can. Just do it intelligently and give, give readers something to actually chew on that makes sense. Instead, it went nuts like it actually put pressure on Ancelotti to, to make him like change his decision like he talked about it like that was it was crazy to me the reaction that happened right because it wasn't just outside it was Madrid based press too yeah. and there were rumors like the hierarchy isn't happening I was like I was genuinely stunned it was like a 1-0 loss and people lost their mind but 1-0 loss the result the result to me was was lucky like I I mean, it, was, it wasn't a good performance, but we've seen Madrid play like this before versus Barca, and no one, like, I mean, not that no one said anything, but it's just, I don't know. Yeah. The entire reaction was strange to me because it was not like you couldn't critique it, but it was the way it was being critiqued, and the proposed solutions made no sense. Also, like, to your point, the extremes, it's really hard to, like, just flip a switch and go, like, from yeah. one, one end of the spectrum to the other when you haven't been doing that all season and expected. And it's funny, like, you mentioned that because... Ancelotti is so open and transparent about like he like literally has said I forget what I think it was the Shakhtar game but I can't remember where after the game he was like the fans weren't happy so we're gonna have to attack more next game like he like and he I don't know if he gives in or he's just basically accepting the fact that this is how Real Madrid works or whatever but like you know the Ancelotti in a a lot of ways is um, is um, The, a Real Madrid flag just fell and now everyone's freaking out. Like, um, Ancelotti, in a ways, is kind of the middle ground of what you're saying in the sense that he his whole tactical philosophy is um, we don't play one way. The best way yeah. to play is to be adaptable, right? Um, I mean, and, and to your point, what you said earlier, the problem of being like this is our identity, this is how we play, is like you lose eight two. Right. It's <laughs> like, like it. if you can't like adapt to someone who's just better at what you want to do, like if you want to press and control, but then a team who's like so much better than you at that one thing at pressing and controlling, 
comes and wipes you off the part and beats you 8-2. <laughs> that's your problem man you have to like that That would never happen to us in my opinion because like Ancelotti wouldn't be like no. we must play this way it doesn't matter if we lose 10 nothing. like it, it just, yeah. the, the other the other thing with how conservative we approach is I, I mean I don't know if no one did but I certainly did not expect PSG to be able to press that effectively right we're talking about how bad our press is the only elite team in Europe whose press is worse is PSG right like it's a complete disaster yeah. I mean it, it's it's severely holding them yeah. back but right? we don't press Right, and, right, so they try. No, no, Pochettino's been, he's been bringing it back gradually up until that game. And so, like, I didn't go into that expecting PSG to try to dominate the extent to, 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 to the to, to way they did, right? Like, yeah. he actually went quite brave. He was kind of lucky in that he didn't have to select Neymar injury issues or whatever. But Messi was still there on the field, Mbappe was still there, and he went with the full gung-ho, man-to-man, high press the entire way, which is not what I was expecting. I don't think Ancelotti would have necessarily expected that either. Now, he could have made a number of changes at halftime, etc., that he did not end up making. But going into that one, assuming you could be conservative, have some possession, and, like, you know hit the space that PSG leave behind because they're not that organized, their rest defense isn't that good. That didn't seem crazy to me going into it. What was kind of wild is like, Jesus, like PSG's press, like this is the one time I'm seeing it work. So I I think when you add more and more context to it, like the reaction afterwards was like just even more bizarre. Yeah. Whatever happened, we we played much better in the second, in the last 20 minutes of the second leg. Um, so I want to get to you guys' questions, but um, you wanted to talk about uh, oh yeah something yeah no I mean um, so just uh, like I said earlier um, I don't need to get into this entirely but uh, two things um, first of all Eleanor is my wife here um, round of uh, applause for Eleanor <laughs> also Om Arvin's parents are here too round of applause for Om Arvin's parents uh, we were gonna collect if you guys want. Um, uh, donations to the International Rescue Committee, uh, which is the uh, U.S.-based but international organization that does refugee resettlement for uh, the people of Ukraine and uh, a number of other countries that are currently engaged in um, uh, situations that involve um, uh, creating millions of refugees right now. Um, so if you want, uh, we're going to make a donation on behalf of Managing Madrid. Uh, toss us a little cash. Um, whatever we can toss up a little thing online. Uh, be awesome. Uh, I don't know if folks are particularly interested in this, but uh, from my job, like I said earlier, my work is in public policy and anti-corruption. And uh, with what's going on right now, uh, I'm sure some of you saw that the United Kingdom government has seized uh, Chelsea from uh, Roman Abramovich. uh, And uh, yeah, right. (laughs) Get him out. No. and uh, so I thought that was uh, kind of interesting, given that it was this sort of overlap with what I do for my uh, job. Um, I do more domestic, but still, we, we work on it fairly frequently. And it's actually a really interesting situation uh, there because football teams are actually like perfect targets for this stuff. Because if you think about it, the, it not only do these sanctions, when they happen, they make the billionaire like oligarchs life bad, right? You grab their yachts or whatever. But with football teams, you actually really screw over a, an institution. And so you, if you're a, uh, a country looking to try to make another country or, or whatever, to make something happen in another country uh, that's doing something bad, right? In this case, uh, trying to put pressure on the Russian government, uh, you can leverage a huge amount of anger 
uh, by sanctioning the oligarch who is, you know, supportive of the government by going after the soccer, the football team, right? And so in this case, sanctioning Abramovich and going after Chelsea is a great policy in terms of uh, 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 sanctions and, and trying to, you know, we should have checked if there were Chelsea fans in the audience before we, instead of... Well, I mean, how did the Chelsea fans feel, people. right? They're pissed off, not at, like, the UK government, but at the owner, right? Like, that's the... <laughs> the yeah, way I mean, tribalism is a hell of a job. Well, like, yeah, but <laughs> maybe... Uh, yeah, anyways, so that's um, my little spiel. Uh, but, yeah, I wanted to uh, bring that up just so I can say we're going to be collecting donations to the uh, International Rescue Committee. Uh, for a Magic Madrid uh, a little donation. so I love it. And on the yeah. way, we drag Chelsea a little bit. Exactly. We get to drag Chelsea do you, do you a little you bit. Think, uh, do you think it's like hysteria to be like, this is it, Chelsea's done? And like, Yes, that's insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's okay. hysteria. Yeah. Um, okay, well, what, what does it mean then? Uh, what it means is that for right now, uh, Chelsea is, is going to be <laughs> in a tough position. Um, they're not going to be able to sell tickets to their games. Um, they're not going to be able to, you know, you won't be able to buy a little, like, a Chelsea kit or whatever. Yeah. Um, so they're going to be in a lot of trouble when it comes to uh, some of the regulations in FFP. Um, I'm not exactly sure what it's going to mean when it comes to actually, like, filling the stadium and stuff. Uh, but, but So how, like... It's not the end of Chelsea. It's God, said. no, it's not the but, end of but, Chelsea. Right. But what do you see as the timetable for something like this getting resolved? Well, I mean, that is the real question, right? Yeah. And so they can hang on to this uh, until the situation gets resolved. And the longer that goes on, the worse for Chelsea, the club, yeah. right? And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to get to be to a place where it's very hard for everyone, uh, especially Chelsea, when now they're not going to be able to incorporate new players. Eventually, they're gonna, you know, he's gonna struggle to pay salaries, and and you know, this is gonna end up leveraging a huge amount of pressure on on the situation. So, did, did you see what Pep said today? No. Did you see what Pep said today? I only saw what Klopp said. I didn't see what Klopp said, but Pep was asked about it, and Pep said managers should do their due diligence about the club they're working for. <laughs> Which, for. you know, pretty and, funny and, if you think about what club the Pep works exactly. for. What Klopp said was a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, he was, he, like, so he was asked by a reporter, what does he think about the situation? And Klopp has honestly been, like, super vocal about this the entire time. It helps that the situation he's in, like, he's backed by more traditional corporate structure, whatever. And he, he, he basically deflected the situation. He, he asked do you care? Did anyone care when Abramovich took over in the beginning? Right. And he just kind of went down that line. There were some people who cared, but ultimately, like, this idea of there being complacency from the fans up to the institutions to allow this to happen in the first place, and then, like, you know, stepping in and making a big deal of this now, yeah. like, it's heavily opportunistic. Now, that doesn't mean to say it shouldn't happen, but right. there's a certain hypocrisy to, like, the hysteria over it. Yeah, yeah, and, it, it, you know, it, 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 I think maybe in terms of longer-term things, in addition to, like, all of the actual day-to-day, -day, you know, uh, things it's going to do for, you know, in terms of, like, public opinion vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the, the situation and the war in Ukraine, is that it, I think it hopefully will make people and make the leagues, like, a little bit more... Uh, uh, willing to vet, you know, the the institutions and the people that sort of come in and, and try to like own and, and run a club, right? Uh, you know, but you know, Florentino is loving that because right? <laughs> his whole his, Florentino's whole thing shtick has been, 
we make our own money yeah. and these guys don't. And now we have to compete with these guys who have an infinite pool of money. So, you know, Florentino's just sitting back with a cigar and his, yeah. his hand in his office. It's like, this is beautiful. I mean, obviously no one's hands are clean entirely, right? Real Madrid yeah. right now is sponsored no, by... No, we're, we're morally perfect. We're, we're, we're yeah. good. Yeah. You know, everyone else is bad. Yeah. Uh, so... But yeah, it's it's uh, it's really interesting, and we're seeing you know we saw the government in Saudi Arabia buying Newcastle, and uh, you know it, it's an interesting conundrum for leagues because they like to pretend that there's no money, and then as soon as like uh, uh, you know these things start happening, uh, you know the league actually is going to be for, faced with a situation where um, they're going to have to make that decision between these. Uh, between some sort of, or at least create some sort of institutional principle. Right. It's and interesting. If you're going to bring states into it, then you're bringing geopolitics into right. it, and that can affect how, how the league is run. And do, do leagues really want to be involved with managing that? Is the question, and right yeah. now they're kind of realizing, fuck, like, you can, don't want it to can be screw us over, yeah. right? Yeah. Because no one wants what is happening to Chelsea to happen to Chelsea. Yeah. You guys ready for a mailbag? Live QA? Mailbag? Go. All right. All right. So. We're also, uh, as I mentioned in the email beforehand, we're give, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven prizes to give away tonight. And uh, not that many trivia questions, so we're gonna think of some on the spot, <laughs> which we're, I think we can, we can pull off. But um, we're gonna do a Q&A. So does anyone know the rules we generally have for, for asking questions? Blurt it out if you know the rule. No Mbappe. No Mbappe questions. Yeah. I mean, at this point, like, it, the, the Mbappe thing just changes so much because now there's, like, an, a different layer because he saw the magical night at the Bernabeu, so I don't know. There's right. that. But the thing, so our stance is that, like, we talk about, there's, there's the, the thing we've talked about the most, I think, all season was how do we fit Mbappe and Haaland from a tactical perspective? No and it's, like, clockwork daily. There's a new segment. We somehow find a twist to it every day and <laughs> put out a new something about it, but... Um, yeah, so... Are, I g are you guys not bored of the Mbappe news? Like, because yeah. that, that's what gets the most clicks on our website every single time, right? People will complain about, but like, it, it swamps everything. Are you guys not bored by like no, Mbappe? It, it depends like, on the like reading for your board day or reading for Christmas. It's like that. Like, yeah, you <laughs> want to know if there's something new. Like, one word new, <laughs> something about it. Then yeah. you know. We know what's happening, right? Nothing's for sure. But it's like, all right, there's one word of new. <laughs> no, here in this room, everyone only clicks on the tactical analysis right. articles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know you guys are all gonna go home. Mbappe. <laughs> uh, so you guys can uh, feel free to ask anything you want. Um, you know, it's take a, take advantage of Gabe's tact, uh, legal expertise and yeah, Ohm's tactical expertise, and I'm just here to shoot the shit. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> what counter pressing structure? Do you yeah. Right. <laughs> So the question is, how many people have underestimated Real Madrid? I love the smirk love on your it. face too. You're just like <laughs> I, so I, I think there are two parts. There's one specifically to the PSG Real Madrid thing. Is I think part of it was like a huge amount of people still went in overrating PSG. Like people were still like there were people after the first half that that were commenting. They were like, 
what are Real Madrid supposed to do differently, right? They're facing the three best attackers in the world. This is it. They're done. And it's like, okay, like, I mean, have you been watching how they've been playing this season? Like, I would argue when Mbappe joins us, he joins the better front three and makes the better front three. And I don't think it's particularly controversial the way we've <laughs> seen them play this season. So I think that's part of it. The other part of it, because the Bernabeu is so fickle and can suck a lot of times when the team is down and boos and whistles them, and that's... I don't think it's an incorrect kind of view to have that crowd when you're a neutral. They completely underestimate how that flips on Champions League nights. It doesn't yeah. matter how badly we lost in the first. Like, I mean, sure, when we come, when the players come back, they will like you know yell at them and everything. Like after Dortmund, like the the thing that always sticks out in my mind is Ramos going up to a fan like to to sign an autograph, and all the fan wanted to do was yell at him, and he thought <laughs> he was asking for an autograph. So we'll do all of that. But <laughs> when the second leg starts and everyone piles into the stadium. In my personal opinion, as someone who's never been to the stadium, but just from what I understand, <laughs> from what I can see, there probably isn't a better atmosphere on Champions League nights than the Bernabeu. And that matters massively. Statistically proven that home advantage matters. And it matters when you, you, you just need to give the best players in the world that extra bit of motivation. So I think it's two parts there, but just generally, generally speaking, I, th- I think people don't understand what the Bernabeu can be like when we're down on those Champions League nights. I find it interesting how that mental shift can happen. Like, you guys, I'm, I'm, I think, have been Real Madrid fans for a long time. This whole Champions League DNA that we have right now, the mentality of, like, you know, the, the famous quote of a 90 minutes in the Bernabeu is a long time. If you look at everything between 2000 and... One, I guess, 2002. Whenever, when was it that Zidane scored the volley in Glasgow? 2002? 2002. So up until, t- from 2002 to 2014, from Zidane's goal to Ramos' goal in La Decima, yeah. that mental barrier was different. Yeah. That was a different psychological thing we were dealing with, whereas like that home advantage you speak of, I felt actually added pressure to us yeah. on knockout games. You know, you think of Lyon, you yeah. think of Roma, the one where Cicinho scores, you think of... Um, I'm trying to think of the second legs at the home specifically, the Bayern penalty yeah. shootout, which was the most heartbreaking day of my life probably. I'm like literally crying <laughs> just yeah. saying it. Um, that, the, that was the mental, the men, mental aspect was completely flipped during those years. And I'm, I just think it's really interesting like how you can go through all these cycles and you know, the, the psychological aspect can change so much. Um, yeah, I, I know Gabe will want to I just I think the core matters because like obviously we moved on from a lot of those players but La Decima changed everything right like, yeah. yeah I didn't feel nervous going into a Champions League match anymore after that and that core has taken us through all those Champions League nights since then and for them it was like we, we've gotten over the hump and now we know how good we are let's go three-peat or whatever and so like I think that was part of also flipping it like to, to where they felt that energy in the Bernabeu and they were like this powered us to a Champions League title it's gonna happen again and again. And I think that's part of it. it. We'll probably have to go through this again when we completely, when Modric is gone, Casemiro is gone. I don't think it just stays like it's this magic that exists. But I, I do think there is something intangible there that connects like in a very real way to the to the players that are there, the experiences that they've yeah. had and, and how it shapes them. Well, because it has to be intangible, right? Because yeah. uh, all of all of the sort of stats and, and like just going back to the three-peat, nothing, and I remember talking with you guys about this, was that, yeah, Madrid has a you know great team and they were really good, but there was, you know, n- none of the advanced stats or anything was really like supporting the idea that Madrid was the favorite to win those. Except 16-17. 
But Except for right, yeah. right, right, right. Um, but you know, so there is something intangible, and uh, I also very—I mean, it was very scarring to go through twelve years of Champions League loss after like growing up with so much success. Uh, and uh, so I, I don't think I'll ever sort of like really get over <laughs> that. Um, I think that's what made it better, though. I yeah, think no, like no, the Ram, what Ramos's goal meant, like it meant so much more going through that twelve years of suffering. And uh, I mean, I don't like it gives me the creeps just thinking about it. But like, what is like? I think the biggest what if in club history is if Ramos doesn't score that header, what happens the next five years? I don't even want to think about it. Ancelotti's gone right there. People are probably sold. I don't. I don't know who's sold, but people are sold for sure. I don't, and like, and and do we have? Is our mentality just not there for the next few years to win the three P? I don't know. It's uh, that Ramos. We owe like so much to Ramos for that one moment to have the balls to. Do you, do you see him liking an Instagram comment asking him to come back home? No. Yes, yeah. I did see that. I mean, was it just like a random fan? He like liked the comment. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> also, this is yeah, a, this he is a, like just goes and gets his bag and pretends to be injured all year. <laughs> yeah, all right. A funny, a funny anecdote. Um, Om does this thing where he t- oh, yeah. he tweets at Iker Casillas like from the managing Madrid account, calling him dad all the time. <laughs> and Casillas finally caved and followed us. <laughs> like, <laughs> so thanks to Om calling him dad. Yeah. We'll see how long that lasts. But Rodrigo and Arbeloa have followed us for a while. And despite Keon, just like all the stuff he should be tweeting on his personal account, he'll put on the main account. And despite yeah. him doing that all the time, they still follow us. So I don't know. Yeah. They, I don't know. I mean, you got I, my, my interviews, my, my, theory, my theory is they don't even really check. Like, it, it's not even them using their Twitter, probably. probably so not, yeah. it's, their, it's their PR person going through liking stuff. I think Casillas does, though. Because yeah. I mean he's retired. Oh, that Casillas like, Instagram post where he's yeah. in the stadium and he's like disguised as a fan—that was amazing. He's just having the, the time of his life, yeah. bachelor life, like just enjoying himself. You, yeah. I mean, you've got some great interviews. Uh, I mean, they know like a number of them know us, right? Because we talked to him. I talked to Morientes in 2014. Yeah. 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 So like, I don't know. get like, I don't get to talk to players much. But what I do is oh, like. Yeah. Like I remember, like Varan's brother texted me last year, and he was like, "It was it was like after some kind of like tactical analysis I wrote where I was like highlighting something Varan did in the Classico, and he's like, thank you because most people don't write about that stuff." No. Another one was uh, who else was it? Varan's brother was one of them. He texted you. Yeah. How did he get your number. <laughs> he found me on LinkedIn actually. Uh, oh. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> it, I mean, it, it really it, it depends. Like update some, your LinkedIn. I yeah, guess. update your LinkedIn. Some of them are so siloed off. Like especially the younger players, all like TikTok and stuff. So like when I interviewed Carolina Muller Hansen, I was like, I'm the Real Madrid guy. You know, you know who I am. And she's like, I have no idea what that is. And I was just like <laughs> crushed. I was like, we're the which old, is weird because a lot of Feminino players know about managing but, Madrid. But they're it's usually the older players. Like Kenki Robles is like 30, 31. And so like Twitter is her app. And like every time I like mention the same video I made of her, she retweets it every single time. <laughs> um, so like some of them I- engage with it a lot, but like the younger players, like it depends. Like so Rodrigo's Twitter account just might like exist and he like never uses it. Yeah. I don't think Vinicius like ever has lost. Vinicius on. was the other one. Vinicius' agent texted me. That's what it was. And he he said he liked something I wrote. But what that doesn't mean? it's annoying because like it's like, oh, cool. And then you're like, maybe this is a way in. But then, <laughs> then, then they're like, 
yeah, sorry, you, the club controls the interviews. Yeah. You have to talk to them. And the club's like, no. It's like, we, yeah. I, my, I tried to do the, the Iker Casillas thing, but with uh, Joel Embiid back in the day. We're still trying. We're, we're trying. We tried so we, hard we, with him. It was so yeah. close, man. Like, we tweet like, Doncic, Embiid, and Cruz like, oh. every day, come on the podcast, come on the podcast, come on the podcast. <laughs> so but they good. haven't responded yet. Yeah. That was back when Embiid wasn't, like, a big deal yet either. That was, like, he was injured, like, his first couple of years, like, and I was like, no, man. He he was at um, uh, one of the Champions League finals, posting from the sideline. Embiid? Yeah. Oh, really? That's Did you guys started. see Embiid's tweet about Mbappe recently? It was like during the game. He was like, <laughs> I. pushing up so high. I don't. I don't remember seeing I mean, that. He loved no, it was about game. Mbappe. Like, don't worry about it. He's gonna like. No, he was that. like, because he's a Real Madrid fan, obviously. So he was tweeting during the game, and he was like. What a goal from Mbappe. I can't believe we're signing the best player in the world this year. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I it was great. Um, I, you said, so back to your question, though, really quickly, because you also said something about, um, oh, if Mbappe joins our front three, he's yeah. joining the superior front three well, yeah. at this stage of their careers. You know what I mean? Um, one thing that this pundit, who shall remain nameless, who said Benzema's all of a sudden on the, the level of Harry Kane after that, which you've all seen, right? You've all seen it. Um, during, I don't know if, it, that same discussion, that same panel involving uh, Thierry Henry as well, who was there, who I love, Thierry Henry, I love that guy because all of his yeah. reactions are just perfect. He's like, what? <laughs> um, but one of the things that was said was, if I'm Mbappe, I wouldn't go to Real Madrid. I would go to like City Liverpool and, and Real Madrid aren't contenders. Like, I just couldn't believe that that stuff comes out of their mouth. And like, honestly, if you put, like, let's just separate that and like, just create a new discussion. If you put Mbappe on this Real Madrid team, it's an instant contender for a Champions League. With this Real Madrid squad, it's an instant contender. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. I, I just think it's great, because I personally believe that we have really good depth. Uh, I think one of the the issues with the depth, because like one of the common things with this Real Madrid team is that the limited minutes that some of our bench players get, they don't play well. And it's partly because they're not really in the same rhythm and on the same page as everyone else. So expecting more of them is a little bit unfair, especially if you look at a lot of these players are younger, right? Kamavinga up until the last two games where he was great, Real Sociedad and PSG. I, I mean, I loved his performances in both those games. I'm really proud of him. But up until that point, he was playing all these weird positions off the bench. He was playing in a four midfield scheme. He was playing as a single as a single pivot. Didn't he play a, a winger position he's briefly? Played, he's played winger. You would know better. Yeah. He's played yeah. winger one time. So, so I think we have really good depth. We just got to use it properly, right? So I, anyways, my point was, if you put Mbappe on this team, this is a contender immediately. I thought I mean, we weren't talking about Mbappe. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. It's like... I, I secretly want you guys to ask about Mbappe. Well, this, this is a more interesting train of thought, at least, than, yeah. like, did Mbappe like, you know, Benzema's Instagram post or something. Right. Like, yeah. All right. I'm just kidding. We have a couple of hands up. Uh, we'll go in the front and then in the back, and then and then you. Yeah. So, because you're a midfield, I wanted to ask, maybe there are two or three years to the question, right? Like, first of all, like, Barca, as much as they're struggling right now, like, you got to admit, like, they have really good midfield prospects, right? So, you mentioned the thing, like, how Madrid going to travel, like even though it's just like two games, but how's going to Madrid match up to that, right? So in future, do you think that Madrid's midfield models were the same, were the same where like you have a destroyer, you have a metronome in someone like Cruz, and a ball carrier, line breaker like Modric, or with someone like a high work attitude, 
like Kamavinga and Pedival, but then you put in a really good ball, like line breaker, like someone like Bellingham or Cravenberg. Or so that's my first part. Like does that make the change? The second part, like Shua, uh, like Shualini, Shuamini, yeah, Cravenberg or Jude Bellingham. If you had to sign one, which one among those three? Okay. Who, who, Bellingham, Chuamani, who was the other guy you said? Granberg. Okay. Ryan what was the first question? I was a bit unclear on that. <laughs> the first one is, yeah. the, uh, so that is the second question. First yeah. one is the midfield model of uh, a destroyer, Casemiro, a passer slash metronome like Cruz, and I a see. ball carrier. Does that remain the same? Or do you think that changes because you have like two players with high work rate like Kamavinga and Valverde? So it becomes more like a 4 2 3 1. So that's the first question. Okay. I, I mean, with regards to the first question, I guess also you're asking, like, where is modern football headed and what does Real Madrid do after this era? Uh, I don't necessarily think the destroyer role will go away, but the destroyer isn't what the destroyer used to be. The destroyer when I was a kid was Claude Makélélé, who was incredible defensively. To this that. day, I've never seen someone, maybe Ferlan Mendy probably comes the closest actually, but someone who just you just knew no matter who tried to dribble past him it was impossible it was like just an impossible task Makaleli just comes away with the ball cleanly every time i've never seen anything like that but he was also limited he was a good short 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 range passer decent but like you know he's not going to be like the busquets and even casemiro has much greater range yeah, yeah he does casemiro does have longer range than Makaleli. um i don't think that the destroyer role like that exists anymore if you like you mentioned chuomeni chuomeni is great because he does the destroyer side of things, but he's also terrific on the ball. You know, going way back, Fernando Rodondo could organize an entire defensive structure, plus be in a good position, plus was an amazing tackler, plus was amazing on the ball. So I think you need players of that ilk, and that, and that's probably why we've been harsh on Casemiro, and you know, some, some fans like that, some fans don't like that we're harsh on Casemiro in that way, but I, think, I don't think the destroyer role necessarily goes away moving forward, but I think the destroyer has to be capable of being comfortable on the ball and being press resistant, because we've all seen our last few Champions League eliminations, they've all followed the same theme. Right. So I, I think that's why I picked Chuameni out of the, the three midfielders you picked. Not necessarily because he will have like a net greater impact on the game than them, but I think relative to position, what he has is just rarer, right? Because even with Kamavinga, incredible ball-winning statistics that basically are only matched by Casemiro and Kante yeah. the last couple of seasons, including Kante, like Casemiro is the only one who's actually like meant to play a single pivot defensive field role. Like Kamavinga more than anyone cannot be like shackled there, right? At least not now with the way his skill set is. Shuameni can be. Like he's played a bit further up, but he's a guy where I don't think, my God, you're losing so much or he can't necessarily do all the things I want to do on the ball when he's playing in that shielding role on top of the fact that I don't see him as a, as a vulnerability on the ball. That's really rare. You cannot like go yeah. through the defensive midfielders in your mind who you would want to play that role and think about do they have like the entire package it's really difficult i mean we're talking like declan rice but declan rice like is neutral on the ball like it's more about the fact that like he's okay too many actually gives you something it's not cross modric level but he's a real positive there on top of looking like one of those defensive midfielders that has that like statistical profile that Matt, it just looks crazy for his age right so that's why i'd go for him and in terms of where we're going forward in terms of the future of the midfield I'm going to be on, I don't know how many of you know John McKenzie on Twitter, 
but he started a new podcast called a podcast about tactics. So obviously I'm going to be on <laughs> talking about <laughs> talking about Real Madrid, right? I'm going to do a Real Madrid segment, and basically it's going to be the theme of like, what is Real Madrid as an institution? What is their tactical history? And this idea that Real Madrid don't you know treat tactics in a traditional way, right? And I think one of the things that we do as Real Madrid that's different from a lot of modern like processes now with like Liverpool as Man City is we recruit well, but we do not recruit with any particular idea in mind. Mm. We just recruit people who are good. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if they don't fit in the moment, right? We've seen problems with Luka Jovic, Odegaard, et cetera. It's, we are just gonna sign people who are good and whichever manager that comes in, and that's the other thing, right? We don't have any particular preference for managers. We'll talk to Nagelsmann and we'll talk to Solari, like two completely different yeah. people, the way yeah. they manage skill sets, everything. So it's all about, the manager who comes in, what they want to do with this, the, the talent we've had, and that decides the midfield we have. It's kind of an unsatisfying answer, but I think that's the only real way to answer it is, is it depends. It depends on who we sign, which could be anyone, because Real Madrid is just there to sign people who are good, and then it's whatever manager we pick in the future. So if it's Nagelsmann, then it's going to be like a really, maybe even crazy midfield, because right now what he's doing, he's putting Kimmich and Musiala in a double pivot, and Musiala is a winger. Now that has to do with injuries, right? Goretzka is an available Tolisso is injured, but Nagelsmann needs ball players coming out from the back, right? And he will do something crazy like that because he relies on counter-pressing to, to keep the defense stable. So it really depends entirely on that, but I think that's kind of the, the way to think about it. And given who we're interested in at the moment, I think we're looking at really modern type midfields, right? Chumeni, Kamavinga, you know, Gravenberg you mentioned, like where everything is way more distributed than it is now. It's it's less about specialists and more about like all rounders. At least that's how I see our future. The based on who we're interested in, who we've already signed. Anything I really yeah. I I'll just, I mean not a ton. Just I really like and and support the idea of just going and getting talent and not trying to get talent based on what the sort of short term or even like medium term needs of the squad are like. Locking in talent from a young age, regardless, is is a good and smart structural thing to do. Uh, even if it results in things where you end up having someone who's good slip away. Because on balance, when you hit on people, you're going to be able to fa- figure out a way to keep them. That's my that's my you know the only personal the, the only w- reason you wouldn't do that is if you have a particular manager whose right. philosophy you put so much faith in and you're just saying here are the keys the analytics department yeah. everything is catered to building it right and how many coaches would you do that with right now the only ones who've proven you can do that with and it's, it's basically guaranteed success at least the league level is Pep and Klopp maybe Tuchel you'd want to start thinking about it but honestly Chelsea kind of operate how Real Madrid do like we we see the whole issue with Lukaku and how he's not necessarily a fit for the system Nagelsmann in the future could maybe be one of those guys but unless you're super super sure that I have this generational mind as a manager who has such a like a guaranteed philosophy and way of playing I think generally this is the right way to approach things especially when you have a short fuse and the manager might be out the next season right why prepare for their specific philosophy and they're gone because, like, they lose six games in a row and, and you have to change everything. <laughs> I think, like, the most extreme example of, like, of maybe you can think of more is of, like, not using analytics and sporting vision to sign your players is, like, when Barca signed Griezmann to basically 
like he's she's just an inferior version of Messi and he can't play any other position, right? And that goes wrong. I think our version probably would be Hazard. Although, like, I would argue that at the time, Hazard was a good signing because he was one of the best players in the world. He was an incredible line breaker. Um, I know you push back against that because he didn't provide well, the goals I mean, that Cristiano Ronaldo did. I'm did, actually, but. like, weirdly more, like, high on the signing with what we knew on the time than I was then, mainly because I underrated what his positioning could provide between the lines. And then after that, I was like, this is what Odegaard can provide. And it's mm. a bit contradictory there. But ultimately, like... I wasn't. I didn't think Hazard was worth a hundred million for his age and what we needed at the time. But people are doing this weird thing now where they're like, Real Madrid shouldn't should have known with a guy who doesn't work hard and, and stuff like that that he was going to get injured. His injury history at Chelsea was perfect. Yeah. Even for a guy who didn't work hard and the first half of that season was shit when he was completely fit, if he did not have that injury with Mounier he probably would have recovered and he would have been fine. Who knows if he would have reached his absolute peak? But it's hard to see him like as the player he is now, which is just completely useless, basically. But so my argument w- against that would be, I think if if it wasn't Munier, he something would have happened. Th- yeah, that's because true. Because the, the, of, the, yeah. the thing with Hazard is, and this is what this 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 is opens up a whole different discussion <laughs> of like you have to you have to sign players who take care of themselves. Like Modric right now looks like three hundred years younger than Lionel Messi. Like on that tackle. Like, he had to gain, gain ground and tackle someone who was younger than him. And it was like, it was like, yeah. anyways, my point is, Modric takes care of himself. You can just tell, like, Hazard never took care of himself. You can get away with that stuff when you're 20. Like, you know, guys, think about it. I know there's some party years in the room, at least there were party years when you were younger. When you're 19, when you're 20, 21, you can get by on pizza, yeah. you, can, you can show up to class hungover. When you're 30, forget about it. You can't do that. So when 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 Hazard literally showed up to every season, out of shape yeah. and was like, yeah. okay, I'm gonna play myself into this. Is by the way, uh, tangent. This is why I'm worried about Luka, Luka Doncic too. Yeah. And this is what's yeah. happening to James Harden now. Yeah. But please, Luca, please, if you're listening, please hit the gym in the off season and eat kale. Luca has like the Luca has the. We're going on that tangent now. We I guess, talked about this in New York actually. I, think. I can't remember which who who it was exactly, but it was something about staying healthy is like a critical element of a modern player. Anyways, yeah. doesn't matter. Anyway, but like I think Luca, part of it is he has that like Jokic and Shaq thing, which seems weird to say because he's not like those. We're doing basketball now, everybody. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> someone's but, gonna leave the right, room. Right, but he <laughs> right, but he uses his body to gain so many advantages when going to the paint. Like he's not LeBron; he just doesn't have a first step. Like he's constantly changing direction, carving out position, bouncing off people, and being like beefy kind of helps him. And so, like probably in his mind, he's like, I can get away with it. I can get away with it. And at a certain point, Jokic was like. I'm actually just going to lose weight and yeah. I'm still going to be so good and now in my opinion he's the best player in the NBA so I don't know if that's controversial <laughs> but there yeah, we go well we we basically lost half the audience during that whole monologue <laughs> <laughs> wrong uh, no it's we're just making a joke because uh, sometimes we'll like Lucas and I will talk about basketball on the Friday, on the Thursday <laughs> mailbag and then you'll have someone comment and be like Basketball. I'm going to withdraw my subscription. Right. It is what it is. We had other questions. Yeah, this is a problem with asking us questions. Is that one hour later? Yeah. Uh, we're uh, we're still talking. So yeah. So we had one at the back there. Yeah. All right. We're gonna leave it there. We're gonna end it here. The actual podcast that was live went much farther and much deeper, and we're going to just leave it here for the listeners. Um, because the rest of the podcast in DC was a lot of trivia, a lot of inside jokes, and Om Arvin just on fire cracking jokes and making the entire audience laugh, which was a lot of fun. But 
what happens in D.C. stays in D.C. So those of you who came out, congratulations. You partook in the miracle that happened. It was an amazing crowd, and it was an amazing time. Thank you for coming out. It was a real pleasure meeting you all. And we'll be back tomorrow for Las Blancas, where Omen and Grant are going to break down the post-game show for Real Madrid Feminino versus Barcelona. And then on Tuesday, or sorry, no, I'm skipping ahead. Monday night, we got the post-game show for the Mallorca game, which is also hosted by Gabe and Om and I in person in D.C. And then on Tuesday night, we got the Lone Tracker back-to-back-to-back over on Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid, where Matt and I will discuss the performances of all the Lonies over the past week. And that's exclusively for patrons. So thanks for listening. Thanks for coming out, DC. You guys were awesome. A great crowd. Happy St. Patrick's Day. And Hala Marid.